0: All right, everybody, come on. Let's give a huge welcome to Pastor Tom. Well, good morning, church, both everyone that's here in person, on site, as well as everyone at home. Come on, everybody, can we give a welcome to everyone that is watching uh, as part of Church Online today? So I've been looking forward to this Sunday for a, a long time. We, uh, we decided that we were going to do this Luke and Acts series uh, a number of months ago, and then as we were scheduling things out, the realization that this was the weekend that we would be uh, hitting on the portion of Scripture that covered Acts 2 meant that we already knew where we were going to go uh, for today. And we made the decision that we were going to spend time on this Sunday uh, talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, uh, as we see uh, it said in the book of uh, Acts in chapter 2, and as a Pentecostal spirit-filled church, this is something that we're going to talk on um, a number of times. You'll hear this. It's right that you hear us talk about this. And I'm believing that good things are going to happen today as we consider what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to make sure that there's a time for people to receive prayer at the end of service, Um, you know, if that's something that um, you wish to be involved in. And I truly hope that by the end of the service, everyone here is going to want more and more of the Holy Spirit active in their lives. And those of you that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, I believe and I hope by faith that something remarkable is going to happen in your hearts and your lives today as you experience that. And for those of us that have been baptized in the Spirit, that there is just a fresh outpouring that we receive with arms wide open to see what God is going to do. And it's uh, typical that in Assemblies of God churches and in Pentecostal spiritual churches like ours, that uh, we will talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to call out the elephant in the room right now to make sure that nobody's wondering what's going on. Um, We will be talking about speaking in tongues today. And I am fully aware that speaking in tongues is weird. I mean, come on now. I mean, if you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, if, you're not, uh, if you've never sort of looked at what speaking in tongues is in the Bible, it is something that is highly unusual. I would not expect someone that has never heard this before to just sit there and nod along like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. No, this is highly unusual. It's something that you wouldn't come across in normal everyday life. All in all, it is weird. But I don't feel this pressure to make speaking in tongues something normal and typical and everyday to you. I want to present this as something that is truly remarkable, something that is incredible, difficult to describe, difficult to comprehend, because it is something that is truly life changing. So I don't want to sort of try and window dress this as like, oh, look, this is something typical and something everyday. No, this is something amazing that we're talking about. And if you perceives it as being unusual or strange or weird, like, I'm okay with that. Yes, it is. But God works in the weird. God works in the strange, and God does something remarkable. So this is something truly incredible that we are going to be looking at today. Is everyone with me so far? Are we all doing okay? All right. If you like the person next to you, say amen. If you didn't say amen, I don't know what to tell you. The only way to take it is personally. Before we close service, we are going to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to believe that people's lives are going to be transformed, hearts are going to be changed, and that people are going to overflow with the gifts of the Spirit, specifically speaking in tongues. And over the next few days and weeks, I believe that from that, we will hear stories of life changes, people that are embracing this newfound uh, baptism that they're able to be a part of and this newfound awakening of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their minds. And I want to put it out there, a disclaimer for you. There is zero Pressure on me today to control the outcome of what happens what the Lord does or what the Lord does not do is completely off of my shoulders I'll faithfully teach and I'll pray but as a pastor and as a church leader as a preacher there is zero pressure on me today to control what is going to happen I hope that many people speak in tongues today possibly for the first time if that happens that's awesome but it's not to my credit if nothing happens at all it's not my fault There is zero pressure on me for anything to happen, for me to manufacture anything, for me to force anything to happen. Today we are here, and we are just ready to see what God has to do. And I believe that if we have open hearts, open minds, open hands, that God truly can do something remarkable today. So if this is the posture that we have, a posture of openness, willingness to be challenged, willingness to think differently, willingness for God to speak to us in a powerful way, willingness for the Holy Spirit to do something remarkable, I believe good things are going to come out of today. So, to start, we're going to look at something Jesus said to the disciples in Luke 24. So, this is Jesus talking to the disciples after he had risen from the dead. Luke 24:45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So here's Jesus, given a promise of the Holy Spirit, and then there's a call to wait. Wait, something great is gonna happen. Something remarkable is gonna happen. And this is not the first time that Jesus had talked to the disciples about the Holy Spirit coming. So when he tells them to stay in Jerusalem and wait, They had a level of expectation. And what was it that had informed that expectation? And this is a question that I found myself, uh, you know, driving me as I was looking at this this week and considering what I was going to share and what I was going to bring to you today. The question I found myself asking is, what were the disciples expecting while waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? Jesus said, Holy Spirit's coming, go wait. So what were they expecting? to do with that? What were they expecting this to look like? What were they expecting to happen? What significance did they have in their mind that this was gonna be? As Jesus says, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. What were the first followers of Jesus expecting? And to do that, I had a look at what Jesus had said to the disciples about the Holy Spirit over the three years that he was with them. First place I wanna take us to is Luke 11. This is prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. He's teaching the disciples and others, you fathers, if you children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The expectation number one that disciples have in the back of their mind as Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is a good gift from God. Moving on to Luke 12. And when you are brought in to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. Expectation number two, the Holy Spirit gives knowledge and wisdom. In moments of pressure, in a moment where things are against you, in a moment where your knowledge and your wisdom aren't good enough, the Holy Spirit will bring you and teach you at that time what needs to be said. Next expectation coming from John's Gospel. But now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. It is best for you that after the resurrection, I return to my throne in heaven. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Expectation number three, the Holy Spirit coming is better than Jesus staying. Now I want to think for a moment all that's involved in that thought. You, we could have had Jesus in person, on earth, in his, as, as a person, here, on earth. Or we could have the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us which one is better, and that is that the Holy Spirit comes. Moving on, Acts chapter 1. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift, he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the last expectation I want to hit on today, expectation number four, the Holy Spirit gives supernatural power for a supernatural mission. And if you continue reading the book of Acts, you'll see this demonstrated, that the call for the apostles and the followers of Jesus, it was an impossible mission that they had been called to. And consequently, they needed the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill their call. Following on in verse 9, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples began waiting. The disciples are waiting, unsure about what's gonna happen, but with a level of expectation because of what Jesus had told them. Those expectations through spending three years with Jesus, listening to him teach, listening to him talk, learning from him, who he is, what he's about, what his priorities are, the promises that he's making. The Holy Spirit is a good gift from God, that the Holy Spirit gives knowledge and wisdom that the Holy Spirit coming is better than Jesus staying, and that the Holy Spirit gives supernatural power for a supernatural mission. Now, the time when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, it's during the Feast of Weeks, which is a Jewish festival, and it's known in Greek as Pentecost, because Penti is 50. And so because this is 50 days after Passover, and consequently 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, Uh, Pentecost is one of the three festivals that would have drawn a large number of Jewish people who did not live in Jerusalem to come and participate in the festival worship and traditions in the temple. At this point in Jewish history, people had settled all over the world. There were Jewish people all over the known world at the time, and many Jewish people would have traveled for the Feast of Pentecost to Jerusalem. And remember the mission that Jesus gave them was that this message was to go to the ends of the world. And here, on the day when the Holy Spirit comes... The ends of the world are on their doorstep. And we're going to pick this up in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, waiting, anticipating an expectation. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Persia, Paphilia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're drunk, that's all. So the disciples were waiting. Just like Jesus told them, and it all goes crazy. They have expectations, but this is far beyond what they possibly could have imagined. How is this all happening? Is unlike anything that had happened beforehand. This was completely unique. Nothing like this had happened before. This is a special moment that the disciples are a part of. And it's so extreme that bystanders have come to see what is happening. A number of them assume that they're drunk. This, of course, points back to the reaction that Eli had when Hannah was having an encounter with the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And now the disciples are given the ability to speak in languages that they had no natural ability to speak. And we're about to read that it's into this environment, it's this atmosphere that Peter steps forward and preaches the gospel. And the environment and the circumstances and the atmosphere that Peter stepped into to preach on that day is very different than the situation I found myself coming into today. For instance... We're in a building that is designed for church. There's a microphone. There's a stage. I feel safe here. You guys are friendly, for the most part. (laughs) We have air conditioning and coffee. Peter, on that day on Pentecost, there was no building, no microphone. He had really good reasons to feel unsafe. The crowd was hostile and aggressive, and there was definitely no air conditioning or coffee. But it's in this atmosphere of ridicule, hostility, possibly danger, that Peter steps forward. Acts 2.14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other disciples and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. This is Peter reading from, or quoting from the book of Joel from the Old Testament. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sons and daughters, young men, old men, men and women alike, Basically, this is encapsulating everybody. And this is a sentiment echoed by Paul in Galatians that there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ. All barriers have been removed. This message of being born again is an invitation for anyone. And as Peter cites from Joel, what happens when the Spirit is poured out? You see that there's prophecy, the ability to speak the truth in God's perspective, words that God is bringing to them. That will see visions of how God is moving in the world around them and in the c- broader culture. That we will dream dreams of what could be and how God can make a difference. And Peter believes that this is what they're watching before their eyes. We read earlier in Luke 24 that Jesus opened their minds to understand the scripture. And this mind opening prepares Peter to preach in this moment with a profound understanding of the Old Testament. Especially for an uneducated fisherman. But after Peter preaches and shares the message of Jesus, as we jump down a few verses, we're gonna catch up in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. This is after Peter has given them the message of Jesus, using a lot of the Old Testament to teach and give examples of where he's going. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, "'Brothers, what should we do?' Peter replied, "'Each of you must repent of your sins "'and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ "'for the forgiveness of your sins.'" Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, "Save yourselves from this crooked generation." Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about three thousand in all. Three thousand people in all respond to the message of Jesus. This is a supernatural mission. And it's being accomplished because the Holy Spirit is enabling God's people to fulfill the mission. So here at Word of Life, uh, we have a number of varying church backgrounds represented, a number of church traditions that make up the people of our church. And there are some churches that have a strong belief that the activity of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, miracles, signs, and wonders of God's power uh, have ceased. And it's an understanding called cessationism. And many very intelligent, godly people who we will see in eternity have adopted this understanding. However, in churches like ours, we believe that God is consistent in character and nature, and that's demonstrated in his working in and through people and in the world around us. For me, and I would expect others, this isn't just an opinion, but both a reading of scripture, and I would also say my experience. And even though my experience is, of course, not as important or as infallible like scripture, But it's also not nothing. Um, For instance, there is a doctor in Bend, Oregon right now that cannot explain how my twins are alive today because of a miraculous healing that happened. That's a long story that I'll tell you another time. But I can say firsthand, being in a doctor's office with a doctor who has no idea what is going on, that miracles still happen today. I'll tell you the full story another time. The thought behind cessation is a suggestion that the apostles had special ministry gifts. Those first 12 uh, disciples of Jesus plus the apostle Paul had special ministry gifts and that God used the apostles in a unique way to establish the church and take the message all over the known world. And upon the death of the first apostles, though, those gifts ceased to function or be necessary. But we see that the gifts in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Acts and even in the epistles, that the gifts weren't just for The apostles. James calls for the elders to pray for miraculous healing. And did the elders one day have that gift and then when the apostles died that gift ceased? Paul talks to Timothy about the gifts that he received from the laying on of hands. Did Timothy's ability to exercise the gifts stop when Paul died? The church in Corinth was clearly very active in spiritual gifts in Paul's absence. Did they go to church one day and realize they no longer had spiritual gifts and think to themselves, Paul must have died? The idea that the gifts have ceased is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. And as much as I love and I respect people and um, I want to honor and I don't want to be rude, critical, negative and tear people down, I cannot find a place in the New Testament to agree with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that believe that the gifts and the move of the Spirit have ceased just because the apostles have died. The cessation understanding is the gifts were needed to get the church started and established. I would suggest that we need that same power, the same supernatural power that got the church started to keep the church going. The first week of this series of Luke and Acts, I pointed to Acts 28, the last chapter in Luke's epic work that covered uh, two volumes, Luke and Acts. It would have taken approximately three years for him to complete this work, and it ends in Acts 28. And if you know the book of Acts and you've read before, you'll notice that there is a very abrupt ending to the book of Acts. And the proposal that we have is that the reason that there is this sudden end, there's not a big grand finale, Luke doesn't uh, tie this all up neatly with a bow, but instead is very open-ended, is because the message that Luke wants us to get, and the Holy Spirit wants us to get, is that the story doesn't end just because the book of Acts ends, The Holy Spirit is still moving. The Holy Spirit still has plans and purposes for the church and the kingdom of God to advance. There's nothing to suggest that the gift of the Spirit was essential in starting the church, but now is less essential in furthering the kingdom of God and continuing the church to move. And I know that we're an outward-facing church. And consequently, I want to see Baldwinsville and central New York transformed by the message of Jesus. I want to see the Northeast stop being described as the graveyard of churches. But to see our state impacted and restored by the gospel, 2,000 years of church history has taught us that that's only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. I look at the world around us. I look at what the Bible says about the church 2,000 years ago, and it's clear that we need the same help from the Holy Spirit to continue this calling as the apostles needed to get the church starting. We need the same help from the Holy Spirit to continue the mission of the church as the apostles needed starting the mission of the church. We need the same help from the Holy Spirit to continue the mission of the church as the apostles needed starting the mission of the church. They were unable to start the Jesus movement, to establish communities of faith without a special empowering of the Holy Spirit. My friends, we likewise, need an empowering of the Holy Spirit if we are going to continue growing and building the church of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're following along with the Bible plan with us, you may have read this this, uh, this past week. And this is part of the introduction that the Bible Project who uh, created the plan that we're reading, they wrote this, and I think it's worth sharing with everybody. After Jesus is enthroned in heaven, Luke tells us that the disciples are together on the day of Pentecost. This is an ancient Israelite annual festival where thousands of Jewish pilgrims traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate. During the occasion, Jesus' disciples were praying when suddenly the sound of a rushing wind filled the room and they saw a blaze of fire hovering over everyone's heads. What is this strange imagery all about? Here, Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme where God's presence also appears as fire. For example, when God made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, his presence blazed on top of the mountain. And again, God's presence appeared as a pillar of fire when he filled the tabernacle to live among Israel. So when Luke describes fire visiting God's people, we are supposed to recognize the pattern. Only this time, the fire disperses into many flames on top of many people. Instead of appearing in a single pillar on top of a mountain or a building, this communicates something remarkable. The disciples are becoming new mobile temples where God can dwell and share his good news. God's presence is no longer limited to a single place. It can now reside within humans who rely on Jesus. And when we hear Jesus saying, it's better for him to leave, I think this helps us see why. Jesus became fully human, and that included human limitations. Consequently, he could only be in one place at a time, saying one thing at a time, teaching one thing at a time, healing one person at a time. But the Holy Spirit does not come as a human, but as spirit. Which means the Holy Spirit can reside within me as much as you as a believer on the other side of the world. To try and formulate a definitive theology, to try and come up with a complete step-by-step theological outline of how all this works is near impossible. And this verse might explain why. John 3:8. the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So I want to be slow and careful about how we walk through some of the theology behind the baptism in the Holy Spirit, because the wind blows wherever it wants, and God will not be reduced or limited to my best explanation and understanding. Well, the Holy Spirit is active when someone makes that first decision to follow Jesus. and At that moment, someone's healed relationship with God means they have the fullness of God in their lives. That someone experiencing the distinct baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a condition of having a healed relationship with God and consequently is not a condition to spending eternity in heaven. This is about a Christian being transformed and empowered. As I heard this week from Dr. Duane Durst, this is not about having more of God, but having less of me. The baptism in the Spirit is not about having more of God, but having less of me. And Jesus says in John's gospel that the Holy Spirit is a helper. And I don't think there's anyone here bold enough today to suggest that they can be all God's called them to be and do all that God's called them to do without any help. When someone is water baptized, as one of the very first things we do upon making that decision to follow Jesus. It is the church baptizing the new believer into Christ. Very familiar verse to us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them It is the disciples and the church and the believers that are to do the baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptizing people into a relationship with Christ. But it is Christ who baptizes the believer into the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read this from Luke. Luke 3, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John, John the Baptist, might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. It is Jesus that we are told and we are promised does the baptizing in the Holy Spirit. For what it's worth, this declaration that Jesus will baptize believers in the Holy Spirit is in all four Gospels. And this is why the Assemblies of God and other church traditions are confident that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is distinct from water baptism. The church baptizes people into Christ. And once they are in Christ, a biblical term that they are in relationship with the baptizer and can receive the baptism he gives. And we can have that same expectations the disciples had. We can expect from the baptism Jesus gives that we'll know that the Holy Spirit is a good gift from God. That the Holy Spirit gives knowledge and wisdom. That the Holy Spirit coming is better than Jesus staying. And the Holy Spirit gives supernatural power for a supernatural mission, baptism is a special, unique experience that happens once, and one we're invited to encounter the outpouring of the Holy Spirit repeatedly. When we encounter the Holy Spirit, an outpouring that comes on believers, people that have already been baptized in the Spirit, it can rekindle a fire that God's breath breathes on the glowing embers, and His breath restores a roaring fire. You may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and maybe life is Caused us to minimize the voice of God, and an encounter with the Spirit will inspire us to begin seeking His voice again. Maybe gifts have laid dormant for a period of time, and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit can wake things up. I invite the worship team, you guys can come back. I believe from the Bible and my own experiences and the testimony of others that following the baptism of the Holy Spirit, gifts flow. Gifts of the Spirit include a range of things to empower us for the mission God's called us to. In the Corinthian church, we see that the gifts had become a point of pride. It was an empowerment that the Holy Spirit had given them for the purpose of fulfilling God's plans in establishing his kingdom, as we heard Pastor Lisa talk about last week. And yet the Corinthians had minimized this to be something that they were going to boast about. The spiritual gifts are not to draw attention to ourselves or to bring credit to us, but to share God's goodness, to be a witness and the regeneration of our hearts and minds. Our expectations should be the same as the disciples. And we can draw from the knowledge and wisdom that the Holy Spirit brings. That we can honestly say it's better that Jesus ascended because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. And we can live with the power that God wants to give us to live for him and his supernatural purposes. This is why it's a good gift that God wants to give to his people. I truly hope today that some people experienced speaking in other tongues for the first time. In Acts 2, they were given the ability to speak in languages that they'd never learned. And the Bible also mentions people speaking in a prayer language that cannot be naturally understood. It's a well-known verse from Jude. But you, my dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need to be built up in the way that Jude writes about I want to live with the help and power I need to fulfill God's purposes. And praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is an important biblical part of that. It's important that we recognize that this cannot be God-honoring and humanly manufactured at the same time. Zechariah 4, 6, it is not by force nor by strength, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. It is not by my strength, your strength, my effort, your effort, but by the Spirit, that we receive God's gift to His people. As we've read, it's the Spirit that gives us this ability, it's the Spirit that gives us this utterance. So I repeat, there is zero pressure on me for what's gonna happen. There is zero pressure for me to engineer how the Spirit is gonna move in this room today. The wind goes where it will, and if God wants this for you, then it's a good thing. My invitation to you is that if you have any discomfort around this simply pray lord your will be done and acts describes there being multiple ways that people experience the baptism in the holy spirit there are sometimes where there's laying on of hands other times there's no human involvement at all and for them this was all new and there was certainly no pre-existing formula to how to receive the baptism in the holy spirit for me I was stood in a circle, there was maybe 20 or 30 of us in a prayer circle before worship practice a number of years ago. I'm just stood there, and I'm just praying. Everyone's praying at the same time. There was no famous preacher from out of town. There was nobody giving me a step-by-step guide on how this is all going to happen. I'm just praying, and next thing I know, I'm praying, and I don't know what I'm saying. And it was a life-changing moment. It was not dramatic. The people in the prayer circle probably had no idea anything was going on. But it was a life changing moment for me. So we're going to pray. And I hope, I hope that here today there's an open mind, an open heart. And we're going to pray together as one unified community of faith. We're going to pray. And then we're going to have the altar open if people wish to come down for one on one prayer. And just with water baptism, people are immersed head to toe in water. I'm praying that people will be plunged by Jesus into the Holy Spirit. That every part of us is drenched and saturated in his power, his love, his goodness. I wanna invite the prayer team. If you guys wanna come down and get ready at this time. Before we pray for baptism in the Holy Spirit, for anyone that's brave enough to ask, I wanna see if there's anybody here that your relationship with God is not healed, is not whole, is not repaired and restored. If you're here right now, and if I were to ask you, are you a Christian, you'd sort of get uncomfortable. It would be a squirmy moment for you. And before we pray for the baptism to come and fill believers, I wanna give anyone a chance here. If you would be honest enough to say, you know what? I'm not a Christian, I'm not following God, but I'm ready. You may not be able to explain why you're ready. You may not be able to explain what's happening in your heart, but you just know that you're at that point where you're ready to follow Jesus. I'd love to pray for you. This is both in person and online. So if that's you today, I want to invite everyone here just to close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment. But if you're honest enough to say, you know what, Tom, I'm not following God, but I want to start today. I'd love to pray for you. And if that's you, if you just put up your hand, for those of you online, if you could click that button that says, I raise my hand, Amen. Anybody else here? Wonderful. Anybody else? Wonderful. Amen. Lord, I pray for those people that put up their hands, both in person and online, anybody that's made that decision, that they're going to follow you, do you cement that decision? Lord, you protect it. Lord, that this would truly be a life-changing moment for somebody right now as they desire to follow you. I pray that they would remember this moment both now and into eternity. Amen. If you're one of those people that put your hand up a moment ago, I want to encourage you to let somebody know here at the church that you made that decision. could be one of the prayer partners here, someone at the info desk. Those of you online, you can request prayer, and someone will be happy to chat with you. But I want to invite everyone here. If you wouldn't mind standing. And we're going to pray, not in a normal way. We're going to pray for God to do something unique in this moment. As Luke mentioned in worship, Raising your hands is the universal sign of surrender. And I invite you just to raise your hands just to surrender to God. And to say, God, this is your church, have your way. So Lord Jesus, we come to you fully submitted, humble, knowing how much we need you. And we stand on the promise that you give good gifts to your children. So we ask that the gift of the Holy Spirit, that that baptism comes. Lord, baptize your people in your spirit right now. Lord, spirit, move across this place. Fill people, fill people's hearts, fill their minds. Spirit, we need you in this place. We cannot be the people that you've called us to be without you. We can't do it on our own strength. We can't do it in our own might. But by your spirit, we can. By your spirit, we can become the people you've called us to be. Lord, have your way in here, have your way. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, amen. Well, we're gonna take some time and worship. I don't wanna invite anybody here. If you want one-on-one prayer, if you want somebody to come and pray with you, if you want somebody to talk with, we have a prayer team here. The altars are open. Please don't leave unless you have to. Stay, worship, believe that the Spirit of God is going to move. Come on, everybody, let's take some moment and let's believe that the Holy Spirit's going to move in here.